to the Paint, Rest, Repeat podcast with Roz Gervais and Laura Day, where we chat about our creative lives as artists while keeping it real and a little bit messy. We're here to inspire creatives just like you to push past those boundaries and make art that you love. Let's dive in. Yay! Welcome everybody to another episode of Paint, Rest, Repeat. This week we bring you the beautiful Maggie McDonald and we're going to be chatting about art licensing and more, but that's our that's our main driver today. How are you today, Maggie? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me chat with you guys. It's um yeah, a beautiful sunny day in Sydney today, so feeling all the happy vibes in the studio. Your studio looks amazing, by the way. So if you're listening to this on in podcast land, head over to YouTube land. And check out Maggie's gorgeous studio and all those colours behind. It actually looks a little bit like your place, Laura. My place? I think I've got books and I've got art and there's stuff everywhere. So (laughs) I think that's just an artist's studio, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. So I was just thinking more the abstract style, like you're a little bit more muted. But, yes. so anyway, Maggie, tell us about your who you are. Um, For people who haven't heard of you, highly unlikely and also what you create. Yeah, so I'm artist and uh, surface designer and I'm based in Sydney and I started this art journey, I think it's seven, going almost seven and a half years ago now. Decided to go back to school um, when my son started kindy, which was completely crazy, and went to design school and studied for two years and kind of started playing around with paint and sold to a couple of friends here and my mother-in-law commissioned quite a few paintings for her house that she's still got now and started at that stage sharing my work on Instagram, which was in its starting stages and kind of just kept going with that. And now I do my art full-time. I do original abstract art. I've just launched a canvas print collection that I'm doing through Fantastic Framing. And I'm also doing licensing where I get to um, see my art printed on lots of different surfaces, which is really cool. And yeah, and all sorts of things in between. I teach some social media workshops for creatives and artists and a couple of ebooks and then all the other stuff in between. I feel like you are me. Does that, does that even make sense grammatically? You are me. I am you. We are one. <laughs> we are similar. <laughs> I think it might be, a, I feel like it just relates to being a creative. Like we just can't do the single stream of anything. It's just, it's just an impossibility. It's totally impossible. I always used to, and this is no offense to anyone with actual ADHD, but I always joke and say I've got creative ADHD. I find it really hard to focus. And I found when I started my journey, it was like, I was like, everything was so exciting because I'd come to it a bit later in life, always wanted to be an artist, but never went down that path after school. And it was literally like, I was like a sponge. I was like, oh my goodness, I can do this. Oh, what? I can do this. I can do this. And it was really hard to, I guess, niche down into what I needed to do. But now I'm a bit more structured when it comes to what I spend my time on. And I actually make little lists of things and projects that I want to do. And then I kind of have them in my little notebook. And when I have time spare, I will then go and find a little project and I'll kind of try and work on that. But yes, love to have my fingers in all sorts of pies because it does, I feel like it does keep, it keeps our creativity, I guess, engaged and firing by having lots of different influences and and things going on at the same time. It's exhausting at times. But yeah, I think that's the way that we function, most creatives. 
Yeah, I think when anyone's starting out in a creative business, you sort of try all different things and see what sticks. It's just like, oh, yeah, I'll try this project and then the next one and whatever. And you just sort of get guided along the way and you sort of eventually end up on, you know, a certain few things and have a few wheels uh, spinning. That's the way the creative brain works, I think. It's just sort of you're excited by certain things at certain times in your journey. Can I go back to when you were coming? I feel like lots of women, their creativity gets ignited or a hidden passion was that was dormant like before they had children. Like, do you think that that was a huge catalyst, like having your child and then, you know, when your child was in kinder, you really followed your, your art calling? It was. I also, and this is like a very honest, you know, will tell you why I did this is like, so I was very, um, I grew up in a very creative family. My mum's a ceramicist, had a studio at home and um, always dreamed, I was dreaming of being an artist, but I grew up in South Africa and at the time leaving school, it was just not an option, right? So um, it was kind of one of those, you're never going to make money as an artist situations, which we've heard so many times. And so fast forward to, you know, moving countries and coming to Australia, doing all these different jobs. When my son was five years old, I actually had um, two miscarriages back to back. And the trauma of that actually just completely flattened me. And in that time was kind of like a rock bottom kind of time of my life. All I could think about myself was like, life is really short and I need to do something that, you know, sets my soul on fire. And I've been like all these years when my son was, you know, little, I was like, I did cupcakes at one point, I had a little cake business, right? So I was trying to do that. Then I was doing this and I was doing that all the time, looking for that creative outlet that I started a little business and I started doing this thing. And then finally, you know, when I went through this trauma, I realized that, yes, I need to do something for myself and I need to go back to basics and do the thing that makes me happy. So I enrolled in this course, had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I think I was over, I think 36 at the time, I think, going back to school, studying and doing weekends. I didn't see anyone for two years. I was doing assignments every weekend, but I loved it because it was what I was supposed to be doing at the time. And it has just been, you know, something. So I think that it was It's not always necessary for there to be trauma in your life to have the realization that you need to do what is important to you. I do just feel like, yes, women, and most of the women in my class were women whose kids have had gone through primary school or were starting school and they had more free time and they were like, this is my time. I'm going to do what I need to do for myself. And yes, absolutely. It's that thing of, okay, so I've done all of this and this is for my kids and my family. Now it's time to look after myself, which I think it's very, very important to do, you know, like putting everything that you do on the back burner, which is absolutely what we do as women and as mothers and partners. But at some point you need to also make sure that you are following your dreams and doing what you need to do for your own, I guess, not satisfaction, but so that you can feel as whole as a person as you can in the world. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's nice. It's nice. That sounds so sort of, (laughs) so sort of simple, but it's quite amazing. And it's a blessing that we as women do often when we have kids do often get that little slice. It's almost like I see it like a vortex, you know, like a little, little slice, little like hidden window 
of time and this ability to reflect on what we want out of life and what will actually bring us joy and where to from here. It's like, it's almost like a pause in life. So sorry that you had the trauma in the mix as well. That's no fun. It's part of the story so much, you know, and it's like, it's been very interesting to see. I feel like the color that I use. So I think it's definitely something that kind of has come out of that trauma. And it's like, you know, like I want to surround myself with color and joy and happiness all the time because it's something that has was kind of like born out of something so traumatic but it's been so much a part of my story and the art side of things was so much part of the healing from the trauma that it's so intertwined like it's you know this this really something that I've managed to I guess turn around and create something positive out of something very negative at the time I'm sure so many people can relate to that they've turned to their art in there's so we're faced with so many challenges and you know we had this big worldwide pandemic too so there is collective trauma there's points in life you know people are going through grief loss all sorts of things happen and it's so amazing that art can give you so much and bring healing and it's amazing that you know you reawakened that part of yourself and you know sort of transformed that trauma and like channeled that emotion into your painting and now it's like your career and you're following like what you want to do as well it's really amazing thank you so much for sharing that story I can totally relate for me art has been amazingly healing in my life as well this podcast episode is sponsored by Laura's creative kickstart coaching sessions designed for aspiring artists seeking motivation and support to turn their creative dreams into reality Go to www.laurajaneday.com slash work with me to find out more. Should we switch tracks? Because I feel like <laughs> we, we started off the podcast we're and we're like, I know. Let's talk about art licensing. Yeah. <laughs> because you have like, it's amazing. Like you said it was six years. So you've come so far in that period of time. And obviously, you know, there was a, a part of it that you were sort of finding yourself finding your style and in this discovery phase, in this healing phase. But then now you've actually made like your full time in this and you've made a career out of it. And I'm sure lots of people will be like, that's amazing. You've built a career out of what you're doing now. So yeah, I guess the art licensing things you were, we were talking before we press record as well. You've got some really exciting projects on the works, but Maybe we could backtrack on how those opportunities started to come to you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so social media, most of my licensing opportunities have come from companies or brands finding me on Instagram. And when I say social media, it's mainly Instagram. I'm Facebook, I'm there, but it's not my core social media platform. And it's basically just come around with brands noticing my art and going, I really like your artwork. As simple as saying, this specific artwork we really love and could we potentially license this? So let's go back to basics. So art licensing is basically when a company requests to use your artwork on a product that they are creating. So that could be, you know, bedding, it could be clothing, stationery, any number of things. And with digital printing, the way it is at the moment, you can pretty much print on anything. So my first licensing deal was actually with Emily Ziz um, Style Studio in Paddington. 
I had come out of my surface diploma, surface design diploma, and was approached by Emily's to create a collection of wallpaper and fabric for them, which was a huge task. But we ended up creating, I think it was 10 or 12 designs for each. And that is being still printed on fabric and wallpaper. And how I designed these was basically just, um, I always start my designs with a hand-painted design on paper or canvas. And then what I would do is I would um, import that into Illustrator or Photoshop, and then I'll have a bit of a play around with it. So that's the one side, the way that you can do it. And you can repeat patterns. You can manipulate those brush strokes into lots of really cool things. So that's the one side of it. The other way to do it is just with high-res images of your artwork. Most companies do prefer having something they call a repeat pattern, which is where your square of art actually repeats across the fabric and um, you can't like see visible lines in between. So I would either create that myself or they would have a designer in-house that would do that for them. And usually what you would need to do is have your artwork captured. So there are a couple of ways of doing this. Your photographer can do this for you. I'm really bad at taking photos of my art. It is something that I struggled with for a very long time. And I ended up spending so much time trying to figure it out that I was like, this is not working. I need to outsource. So I do now outsource that. And I have a fantastic local photographer that does my capture. You can also scan your artworks. There are some amazing companies all across Australia who do this and it's high-res image capture. And then there's another way of doing it as well. I think there's a couple of people in Sydney and Melbourne who do a specific digital capture as well. But the key is to have that image capture at the resolution that it can be reproduced. You cannot take a photo on your phone and then send it through and then license that as a print. It needs to actually be captured professionally so that when they reproduce that print, it actually is, you know, the resolution is proper. There's no pixel showing or anything like that. So that's kind of how to do it. As far as the licensing terms go, I kind of had to wade my way through this when I first started because there was very little information out at the time on how to charge. And it's always this whole thing of how we charge and what the license looks like. So now I have a basic license and it ranges, I can say prices. So it will range from, for instance, $500 for an image. And that's like a 12 month license. And that's the image only supplied, and you then will put a clause in um, stating that that image is licensed for the specific industry as well. Because what you have to remember is like the amount of money that the company is going to be making off your design. You need to make sure that the amount that you're charging them is, you know, it's relating to the amount of money that they're going to be making out of your design. So it's important to make sure that it's, you know, licensed for specific industry. You can kind of put that into your contract. And then also make sure that it's licensed for a specific time period that you both agree on. When you're starting out, it's a hard one to figure out. If you are starting out and you've got someone and they approached you on Instagram and say, really like your art, would you like to license this? You know, when I started, it wasn't, you know, $500 or $1,000 an image. It was $120 or $100 because it's as much about collaboration with the brand as it is about making money out of your designs. Okay. For me at the start, I would have given them my designs because I was like, please put it on your stuff because that's awesome as an artist to see your work on a cushion or a blanket or whatever it might be. So when I started, I would also always give them a kind of an idea, but I'm very honest with a lot of stuff like this when I'm doing new things. I would put it back to the company and say, I'm happy to work with you with your budget, 
so that we can collaborate together. Those are kind of like the, the language that I would use and make it quite a fluid conversation and open that conversation and say, look, you know, this is, I would love to work with you. What did you have in mind? You know, like we could definitely look at your budget. And then they would come back and say, well, I have this much to spend. And you then obviously have to look, is it worth my while? Once I've done the capture and I've done all the work to it. But if it is, you know, a small job, then just go for it. Like I did a couple of these at the start and it, you know, number one, you get a new, you know, collaboration opportunity. Number two, you get your stuff printed on whatever is printed on. You get a relationship with this company because a lot of my licensing is repeat licensing. And the other thing is you get content. So what happens is they are taking amazing photos of your things and it's content and you actually get that. So the value of of the content is often more than, you know, anything else. So it's definitely something that you should not be like, oh, I'm only going to be charging this amount of money because my art's worth this amount of money. Yes, absolutely do that and make sure that you're covering yourself or if you're starting out, just, you know, be very open to opportunities and try and, you know, I guess, work something out with the brands that you're working with. If you are creating something, a commission artwork for a company. So I just did one where I did a commission artwork. I painted an original artwork at a agreed size and in the style and color. And then that artwork actually then belongs to the company and they have that in their head office. And then I had that captured and they have the high-risk file. And then that, that, is, that becomes part of the story of the design that was created. And it kind of, again, creates content and it creates, I guess, a really nice relationship with that brand. So it really is not just about the money. It's really, it's an amazing way to make an income if you have quite a few of those deals. And very often in the earlier days when it was kind of like a, when it's a little bit quieter and those artwork sales are not coming in as fast, then, you know, the licensing deals would be enough to kind of keep you going and to help you buy art supplies and to pay the bills. So, you know, that is definitely something to look at. And if you're good at Procreate, which I'm not, but should be, I bought the Apple Pencil and I've got the iPad and it's all there, but I've not really got my head around it. I'm an Illustrator fan. That's what I got taught on in my surface design course. I'm very much a desktop person as well. So I like to actually create all my patterns sitting at my desktop and do that. So you don't need to be super tech savvy. Most companies will just need that high-res file and then they will just have you um, have to have you send it through to them and then just do like a little basic contract. I do have a basic contract that I use that I've just kind of made up over the years over different things that I've learned as I go along. This is amazing. So thank you so much. You're laying it all out for everyone. I just wanted to backtrack a little bit because I'm thinking about beautiful listeners and they could exist as they're, you know, as the artists that they are sharing on social media and wait for a licensing opportunity to pop up. But I'm wondering, do you have any experience or any knowledge about approaching product businesses with your art? So, you know, more of a forward, what's the word? Yeah, like a kind of, I'm not okay. I know, like kind of, I'm very bad at this, right? I'll be honest with you. I'm like, I'm kind of like sit back and wait. I'm usually Go so much going on that I kind of just they kind of come to me. But there is a really good way of doing this. So if you and a lot of companies are completely open to this as well, because you'll find in Australia it's obvious, it's a trend and it's very much a thing of bright colors, and it's a very much a um, thing of using Australian artists on packaging, on clothing, on everything. Okay, so it's literally just the way that the retail work world works. So what you could do is, and this is a really good tip I got from someone else, is you're 
marking it's like you you know I love that brand I love this brand I love that brand okay and you kind of follow these brands on Instagram or wherever they are on social media and number one you can always look for call outs for submissions they do do this like a lot of brands for instance Keep and Co do a design competition once a year and there's quite a few brands that would do call outs and would ask for submissions those brands are usually the ones that are very open also to take submissions okay so it's really easy to kind of get in touch with them the other thing you can do is to go onto the websites of the brands that you love and usually if you scroll right down to the bottom of the screen there will be an artist submission section if that is what they do and a lot of brands do this you may not realize that but when you actually go and have a look a lot of them actually do accept artists submissions the other thing is to I guess build a relationship maybe with a brand. I find the smaller brands this is probably something that's a little bit easier to do. And again, social media, start interacting with the brand on Instagram or Facebook and then just kind of gauge what they're doing and you could potentially just, you know, send them a DM and say, you know, hey, you know, this is what I do, love what you guys do. If you're ever interested in very non-pushy, just if you're ever interested in, you know, using some art, you know, I'd love to work with you. So it's basically, it's just opening that conversation and being really honest and authentic and like, look, this is what I do and I really love your brand and I would love to work with you. So that's like, instead of cold calling and saying, hi, I'm this and this and this, you know, this is my work. So those are kind of like the three ways of doing it. So, and you'll find a lot of the brands do actually do call outs on Instagram. So definitely make sure if there are ones that you love that you are you know, kind of checking in and also subscribe to their newsletter because most of the major brands will still do most of their marketing through newsletters as well. And submission callouts will often come through there. So that's definitely a way to do it. They're such great tips. They really are. I'm just soaking all of this in and it's so inspiring. And I love that the opportunities just came to you. And I know I love how Roz asked that question about reaching out because I think that's relevant. Like, Artists need to do their research. You can't just sit in your studio and just like magically wait for all these opportunities to come. But I want to say props to you, Maggie, because you were out there actively working on your craft, honing your craft, promoting yourself, putting yourself out there on Instagram, growing your audience. So you were, the opportunity did come because you were actively putting in the work. And I think if that's something for people to take away, is people will see. Like you might not, you might be just working day in, day out. You're working away in your studio. You're sharing your work. You're posting your work. You're being consistent with that. It might not happen all the time, but out of the blue, if people are watching. So if you're actively doing and producing and working on your craft, you're putting yourself in a good position for those magical opportunities to come to you. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. And it's like, you know, the funniest thing, like sometimes you're just like this, you know, we get that all the time. We all do with social media, for instance, as well, because that's my main marketing platform for my brand. I will have those weeks where I'm like ready to pack it all in because we have those weeks that we all do. And it's hard. And it's like, I just say to my husband, sort of like, it's like pushing up a hill and nothing's working. And I'm like, he's just there and I'm like, nothing's working. And I feel like everything I'm doing is just, it's crickets or it's just something that worked last week's not working this week. I'm low energy, whatever. And it's so fascinating. Like, even though, you know, you're, you're turning up consistently, the consistency is the thing that keeps that momentum going. You know, it's that turning up when you really don't feel like doing it. 
and consistently being there. And then often in those weeks where you're like, oh, can't, nothing's happening. Those are the weeks then when something will pop up out of the blue, something that might have, you know, kind of happened. At, well, so you might have started a conversation six months ago with someone. And then all of a sudden that person comes back because they see you consistently being there. They didn't talk to you six months ago about something and then you've just kind of been disappearing and doing, you know, not really putting in the effort and keeping going with the work. And I'm not saying that, you know, like it's easy because I know we're all like, it's a consistent, you know, effort to stay relevant, to stay on top of the algorithm, to, you know, I guess, roll with the punches and be present. But at the same time, if you can kind of keep it consistent, and I even say with consistency, if you can only like post to Instagram three times a week, make sure that you're consistently like posting three times a week. I'm not talking about, you know, posting three times a day, seven days a week. It's like have a presence and know that if you can only post three times a week, you're going to be posting three times a week and you're going to turn up and you're going to show up and you're going to keep doing it even though it's hard. Yeah, I love that. So my brain just goes pew, pew, pew when I'm listening. And I'm like, how do I remember to say all these things? So I take notes. So I have in front of me, I wanted to say, I think this just connects back to, you know, that line that you hear that small businesses take two years to find success, maybe it's three years. And a lot of people just, they just opt out before that point. And I think that is related to your point of consistency and just showing up and being present. And then after two years, I feel then all that effort from those two years starts to, you know, pay back and give you dividends basically. And then on the consistency piece, the best way to show up, in my opinion, is by following joy. So do you like hanging out on Instagram? Do you like hanging out on Facebook? Do you like going to in-person events? How can you make that consistency easy for you so that you can, you know, get down that two-year path and start to see those gains? What do you think? Is that baloney? No. Oh, my goodness. It's so true. And it's this thing they say, and that's the thing. So I do also, you know, as much as I love swanning around here painting barefoot, which is happy place. I do also have a very, I love analyzing marketing and things like that. So it's interesting to me, you know, I do do a bit of research as well because, you know, to run a a business that's actually turning over money and paying my salary, I need to be able to know, you know, what's happening marketing wise and trend wise and how my customers shop. After two years, I think that was the hardest. I don't think I sold an original artwork for the first two years. I was selling prints and I was ready to, oh, so many times just. And my husband, I'm going to go work at Exley's. I can't do this anymore. I'm not making any money. And, you know, and then I'm sitting on the floor going, what am I doing? And he's just like, no, you're not going back. This is, you're meant to do this. You need to, oh, God love him. Honestly, and it's like, you were born to do this. You need to do this, right? Even though we were like, you know, I was not making any money and it was crazy busy, but lots of collaborations, lots of projects, everything happening. But, you know, realistically, you need to be able to actually pay the bills and have a sustainable business. So then by the third year, absolutely, things started to shift because you've done that work for two years and you're consistently turning up and consistently, I think the thing is pushing through when it was really hard. And then every time you push through when you're ready to give up, you go, okay, well, hang on a minute, I can do this. And then, you know, you get a little bit stronger and your brand gets a little bit stronger. So then you get to four years and it's even a little bit easier. It changes again and there might be a little bit of a setback or, you know, it's like this. It's like the peaks and troughs of business. So you've got your peaks and troughs and at the start, the troughs are often and they are deep. And then the peaks are like amazing and they're just enough to keep you going and from, you know, giving up. 
And then as you go along, the peaks get, you know, a little bit higher, a little bit longer, and the troughs get shallower and less frequent. So then you get to, you know, where I am now at seven years and it's like, it just, it's like this bump and then, you know, like that. And that's not to say that it's all smooth sailing and it's all just happening all the time, but it does get easier. And that comes with, you know, doing the work and showing up and pushing through when it gets really, really hard. And it's really, really hard because it's, you know, running a small business is hard. And this is essentially what we're doing as an artist. I think, you know, not all artists, I don't know, what is it? Not all artists are business people or not all artists are willing to learn that side of things. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a very tricky one, isn't it, for some creatives? Yeah. I'd probably say if you are not a natural marketer, then potentially a gallery route is for you and building your work and being represented or even in the retail model. And we've had previous episodes on this as well and different interviews. There's so many paths that you can take, but if you do choose the self-representation, it is about sticking it through and it is about educating yourself in marketing and art business and all the aspects, money management, like all of those things that comes with self-representation. And it is a hard path. (laughs) You've chosen a hard path. We all have, yeah. And it's a hard one because that's the thing. We're not naturally, like you like may look at me. I love being in front of the, I don't love being in front of the camera. I like just, you know, being in my studio painting without having to, you know, doing, I'm, you know, happy. And we all are. We are, we're not naturally good at selling ourselves. I'm like, I'll put an artwork up and I'm like, okay, leave it. And then I ghost the artwork because I'm like, okay, I've popped it up now. Now, if it doesn't sell, then I'm not good enough. Let's just be honest. We all do that. Okay. The reality of that is like a customer has to see that artwork nine times before they will take action. Anything you do, you have to have that like eyes on that artwork. The same customer will have to see that thing nine times before they actually will take action on that. So, you know, if you have an analytical brain and you enjoy doing this stuff, that's awesome. But like you said, if you don't, then absolutely try and get your work. Then what you're doing is you're making sure that you are connecting with galleries, with interior stores, with all of these, you know, kind of, and it's in Australia, it's a huge market because we're all interior design obsessed. So that's what you do. And then you start relationships with those accounts and with those stores. And then that's how you do it. You try and get your work into one of those places so that you don't have to do the bulk of the marketing yourself and you can focus kind of on, I guess, if you would prefer to focus your time on painting, which is absolutely fine. Like that is, I'll be honest, I don't always have enough time for painting because I do a lot of social media as well. But I go in seasons, like I have seasons of of painting where I just, and I think we all do, where I just really happily would just paint all day. And then other times I'm in seasons of actually wanting to create content make videos, do eBooks and things like that. So that's the other side of the business. And it's quite hard sometimes to marry those two up. They're technically two separate businesses, the education side and the art side, but I'm running them alongside each other and doing everything at the same time. And then I get so overwhelmed some days that I just go, oh my God, I can't do it. And then I just go, I'm not doing anything. And and the old, who am I? Am I an artist? (laughs) Am I a coach? Or like, what am I doing? (laughs) Am I doing prints? Like, what am I doing? And I'm like, and everyone's like, oh, don't, you know, just do prints. You don't have to do any art. You're like, no, you know, and I'm like, no, but that's not going to work. I need to paint. I need to smell the paint. I need to get in the studio and I need to have all of those. So 
Then what I do is I have this ball of everything going at the same time. And then I run myself into the ground and then I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? So I think this is such a common thing because every single person I speak to that is doing this, this is what we're like. I just wanted to backtrack there as well, because you were talking about, you know, get people getting into interior stores and galleries and going that way because Australia is design obsessed or interior decorating obsessed. I'm really intrigued by this topic and I'd love to know your take on it. The whole concept of doing your research on interior design trends and letting that impact your art practice, if you do that, and how you do that without sacrificing your personal expression and your the art that you want to make, you know, the art that you feel called to make as opposed to, you know, what is it? I always forget the right side, the left side of your brain wants you to make, you know? Yeah. Now, this is a really, really good question. So, and with a couple of my other artist friends as well. So we do this thing where I kind of, at the start, you're like, I'm painting what I feel like painting and that's amazing and you can do that. And then you kind of go, oh, okay, this sells, that sells. I'm not a fine artist. I'm a self-taught abstract artist. I paint whatever it is that I feel painting that day. Okay? I love very specific colors. And so for me, what I've learned is like, so you, paint, you, you might paint something and you see that this does really well with my audience and this is generating sales for me. So what we call that is like, we call that your bread and butter. So it could be a specific signature style that you have that is something that people identify you with and that you know sells well. It's something that is, you know, ticking over really easily. It's not necessarily an art style that you're just doing because you have to. It's just an art style that comes really easy for you and that you know is ticking over the money. So when you're making money out of the artworks that you are selling, that actually gives you the opportunity to then have the freedom to paint the things that you do want to paint. Now, that's the thing for me. If I know that my bills are paid and I'm doing what I'm doing and these artworks are selling, I'm also much more relaxed in the studio and I give myself a lot more freedom to just, you know, kind of um, experiment. Now, I'm lucky where a lot of the styles that I have then tried just let myself go in the time where I'm painting, not first selling, has translated into sales and has, they have been, I guess, very um, popular as well. So, that's kind of like, because you start to know what people like and what they don't like, but it's a fine line between just going, okay, so, you know, this is the Dulux colors for the year and I'm going to just paint in those colors and this is what it's going to, you know, do. Like that to me is also something that you can do and definitely look at trends if that's something that you want to do. And we are, I guess we're all subconsciously influenced by what is happening around us and, you know, kind of who's using what. So, I cannot do muted colors. I've tried so many times. It just doesn't work for me. So I will very often tell myself that my art will not sell in interior stores because it is very, very bright. And so that's my thing. That's a stumbling block for me because I'm like, I love my bright colors and it's not something that is aligned with, I guess, whatever it is that is in the interiors world. That said though, I sell enough of my own art on my website and on all the other platforms that I sell that I don't need to be worrying about that. But yeah, it's a fine line. So we do bread and butter and then you do give yourself permission to play and paint for yourself. And you will find that when you have that freedom to play, what you are creating in that kind of flow, relaxed state is actually sometimes so much better than the bread and butter that you're creating. And that will end up then becoming maybe the next series or whatever it might be. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Totally. Yeah. And people will resonate with that too. Cause I feel like there's such like good energy into that, you know, if you're exploring that sort of new track. Yeah. That's so cool. You have a masterclass coming up. This episode's going live towards the end of April and you teach people about social media. So if people are seeing your amazing page and wondering how you do it all, you're giving away your tips. That's exciting. I am. I love teaching as well. So it's kind of like, I guess, just breaking it down. And I think especially for artists and creators, because social media is, you know, it's an amazing marketing tool. It's free, but you kind of need to know what you're doing. And I think as artists, we also need to niche down a little bit more and know exactly how to, you know, I guess, harness the power of social media to get our work in front of more people. I teach a social media basics class for creatives, which is for artists just starting out and really needing to, you know, help with setting up bios and links and all of those things and the basics of how to make that um, pop and how to make that work for you. And then I also teach a masterclass for um, those who have got a following but need those extra tips and tricks to get, I guess, that next stage of growth. Because I find very often accounts can go stagnant almost, algorithm changes, and sometimes you just need a little bit of a shake-up for your, you know, I guess for your growth to start up again. And I also have on my website a hashtag ebook. I researched all these hashtags that I've been using in the seven years that I've been doing Instagram. And the jury's out on this one. Some people say they don't do anything. Other people say you have to use them. I feel like they do make a difference. I also feel like if you can pop them in, it's not going to hurt putting them in there. So there's uh, 10 sets of 30 hashtags already researched for different posts and content that you can just copy and pop into your posts already there. And then I also have a free ebook on Instagram for creatives that you can find via the link in my bio in my Instagram, or if you head to my website, it's all there for you as well. Ah, what a champ. We love you. Lots and lots and lots of stuff out of my brain that just, you know, kind of like dumped it all down there. So I think I just, yeah, I just want to make it easier because it's, you know, I remember struggling. I had to research everything. It was nothing. And it is so much harder now to to do all of these things. When I was starting Instagram, it was literally starting out and you could just pop a photo up and you'd get a thousand likes, right? So it was a the golden era for all of us creators. It was amazing. But what that did was actually, you know, kind of, I guess, teach me all the ins and outs of how to, you know, keep more, moving forward. And at the moment, the focus is is on how to, I guess, learn to work with the algorithm and, you know, just use it to your advantage instead of kicking against it and hating it and feeling like it's, you know, it's there to make your life difficult, which is, which comes back to what you said, Roz, is like, if you really hate it, then it's not the thing for you. Then you find something else. If you love Facebook, then Facebook is your place. I love Instagram. Instagram is my place. TikTok, do not, I have no idea. Like that is just a young person's game, but it's, it's so lucrative though. Because um, I look at my son, he's 14, right? And he'll be like, oh, this is blowing up on TikTok. And then I'm like, and then it's POV of a person doing something. I'm like, how is this going to, you know, this is not going to work for me. So it's very interesting, you know, kind of having that awareness that as much as we're being told you've got to be everywhere, realistically, that's really hard. So focusing on the one that you love and focusing on what you know works is always easier than having to go and reinvent the wheel and, you know, make 
life a lot harder for yourself than it really needs to be. Because, you know, I think as creators, we really need to focus our energy on the things that are important and that bring us joy and that fill up our cup. And if we can do things that make everything else a little bit easier, then that's the way to do it. Beautiful. And there are ways to cross share content as well. So, you know, if you decide that Instagram is where you're going to hang out, I think you can just click a button. That's how I do it. And it shares over to Facebook. And I'm sure there's other ways to share as well over to TikTok or wherever, or Pinterest, wherever else you want to be without duplicating the work. Yeah. So being smart, I think is the way to go. So Maggie, where can our beautiful listeners find out more about you or, you know, join your world? You're on Instagram, obviously. Yeah, I hang out mostly on Instagram over there. So you'll find me there. And then I just, I have my website. I have just recently joined TikTok. So that's in its infancy. I've got the 14 year old helping me out there with um, what's cool and what's not. Very funny. But yeah, mainly on Instagram, I'm just kind of um, hanging out there and sharing some, you know, kind of insights and tips and things like that. And we'll put all the links in the show notes and also information about Maggie's masterclass and how you can get those downloads and things like that and resources for artists. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been, I've soaked up all of that info. You've inspired me so much. I think it's really useful information about the licensing and your career and where it's taken you. I think you've got lots to share. And I feel like you're a natural teacher, like this whole conversation. I'm just like, I've learned so much. It's great. (laughs) That's so nice. Thank you so much. Like this is, yeah. And I love talking. So that helps, right? So it's been absolutely lovely hanging out with you. And yeah, I hope that some of these things, you know, kind of help some of our artists listening. And yeah, I'm open. Like if you want to pop me an email or a DM, I'm always like door open with questions and things like that. So um, if you want to follow along on Instagram and say, hey, on DMs, then yeah, please do that. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And for our listeners today, um, it's been wonderful having you listening. We really, really appreciate you. So thank you for tuning on in. If you would like to share our podcast over on your Instagram and help other listeners to find us so we can help them, that would be amazing. And leave us a review and some good karma. What else? Anything else? Any requests? And your takeaways. Just let us know your takeaways from the episode. And if you've got any other questions for us, we'd love to know topic ideas for podcasts and things like that too. Woohoo. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Sending love. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.